walk at 706 Campbell. And, um, you know, we're just going to go off in different directions and pick up some trash and try and clean the community up. But the real goal there, of course, is not just to feed people or um, to make the community look nicer, but to build relationships and um, to talk people and share the gospel and love them um, like Christ has loved us. So uh, we also have some sign-up sheets in the back, um, legit sign-up sheets, and not just, you know, um, stuff you guys have to um, go on a whim out. Um, But we have small groups. Um, We would really love you guys to get involved this summer. Um, Dave's starting up one this Wednesday, um, and um, uh, Chris Jones is starting one up Friday. Um, And the other two that have been going on, Ryan's Wednesdays at 6, and uh, Stephen's after the service. Um, He's doing one on Romans. So uh, I'll recap real quick. Stephen, after Rev, every week. Um, David, every Wednesday um, at 6. Ryan, every Wednesday at 6. And Chris Jones, every Friday after the cookouts around 8 o'clock when we don't have them. So if you guys want to get plugged in, sign-up sheets are right back there. Um, That's all I can really tell you. Um, I think that's pretty much it for our announcements this week. Um, Brady is leaving soon, so just be praying for his trip and that everything goes well. Um, That's about all I have. If you guys would like to get up and greet each other, greet someone that you don't really know too much, um, that way you can, you know, be more familiar with the body here at Revolution. What's up, Revolution? Do it again. What's up, Revolution? Rules. So the cookout, like you said, the cookout this Friday was awesome. Um, I think we had, like, I think my dad said he counted, like, 25 people or something in total that showed up. And you can look around, so, like, that's a ton of people out of, like, the, like, body that meets here on Sunday nights. And that is awesome. Um, we got to hang out, um, laughed a lot, got to pray with some people. Um, you know, as you guys know, there was a lot of um, overdoses went down in Portsmouth um, this weekend. We need to be praying for our community really bad. Um, but we got to pray with some people that were dealing with uh, some of that. And hopefully uh, that we made some, hopefully we made some friendships both in our community and inside the, the church body here at Revolution. I know I kind of got to know my boy Seth in the back there. Say your name right, right? Yes, it's Seth. I'm, I'm awful at names, but I got that one. I wrote it down in my notes because uh, I looked you up on my phone make sure I didn't get that wrong. Um, <laughs> all right, but it was, it was a lot of fun. I hope you guys that were there got to make some friendships too. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what happened just now. Kelly, I'm going to pray for this whole body. Uh, but I, I, loved, I loved it. I loved hanging out with you guys And because uh, I'm clever and I'm good with segues. I said I loved it because... We're talking about love this evening, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. I worked really hard on that one. Um, love, love will make you do stupid things. Amen? Amen? Thank you. Like, love will make you help your brother-in-law move for nine hours on a Saturday whenever you really don't have the time. And when I say, like, love, I meant love for my sister, not for my brother-in-law. Um, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I love him a lot. Um, but like I said, love is, love is what we're going to talk about this evening. Um, and it's usually a super broad topic, right? Like the hippies made it lame in the 60s and 70s. Like free love, man. Like that sounds more like free STDs to me. Um, that's, just, that's just me. Um, you know, mainstream culture has made, has made uh, love nothing but sexual. Like uh, the band Switchfoot had a song that said everyone is like a hopeless romantic since love has become a kiss- kissing show. And I really like that line. Um, but everyone generally thinks of something different uh, whenever they think of love. Um, 
And luckily for us, we're going to look at one of the three different Greek words for love this evening. Um, But everyone is obsessed with love, right? Like songs, right? There's tons of music about love. Bad Company perfected it. Anyone know what song we're talking about? Mom? (laughs) It it is kind of weird. Mom liked Bad Company back in the day. The song Feel Like Making Love, right? Bad Company wrote it. Kid Rock perfected it. I'm right trash till I die. I'm from Scioto County. Kid Rock rules. Um, Movies, right? We got Titanic, which I don't care what anyone says. Titanic is one of the greatest films of all time. We have poems about love. We have books um, that attempt to talk about love, like Fifty Shades of Absolute Garbage. Um, That's not love at all. That's that's violence. Um, But, (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, like, Like, think about love. Like, people even consent to meeting with strangers that they meet on match.com, right? Like, I'm praying that one of my friends get catfished one day, that I'm like, dude, I told you. Like, I told you so, don't do that. And if you don't know what catfishing is, look it up. It's, it's really weird. Um, and, and yet, for all the obsession that we have with love in our culture, uh, we live in a really hateful world. For all the obsession, for all the poetry, for all the music, for all the everything about love, we live in a really hateful world. Um, you know, the cliche, you know, what, turn on the news. Um, you know, you see violence, um, murder, war, greed, oppression, racism. Um, it, it's everywhere. It's, it's prevalent. Hate seems to be the trend more often than not. Um, there seems to be no love anywhere. Like even in our daily interactions, right? Whenever you go to the grocery store, like everyone's just rude. I'm a cashier. I get to deal with all the rude people all day long and I don't want to work anymore sometimes. Like selfishness abounds. Like it's me, 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 and I don't care about you at all. Uh, but if we're honest, um, it's in us too, right? You, even in the church. Like, who to thunk it? People in the church are rude and don't act in love all the time? Hmm. Um, like, we don't always live in love, but it ought not be that way. Um, above all people, we should understand love if we believe the gospel. Um, if we believe that we were once unlovable and still are unlovable, but that God decides to show us mercy and grace daily, and that he showed it through Christ on the cross and, and giving us Christ's sacrifice and giving us Christ's righteousness, and we don't deserve it at all, we should be the most loving people ever. Um, We should be the ones radiating grace and selflessness to all people. We should be the ones with constant love for everyone that we come in contact with. Um, Because love is the constant command of Scripture. Like, if you take the word, like, love out of the Bible, I heard a preacher uh, say back in the day, um, it looks like if you were to cut them all out, it would look like someone took a shotgun to the Bible. Um, Love is the constant command of Scripture. Um, and if you don't take like, any like, soundbite away from me this evening, like if you only take one sentence with you, know this. Love is the cardinal virtue of Christianity. Take that with you. If nothing else, take that one line with you. Um, and never forget that Jesus sums up the entire Bible with one word, and that's love. He says, love God, love your neighbor, and uh, pretty much covers all beings in existence. Um, but I think that our problem, more often than not, is that we don't have a clear like, biblical view um, or concept of love. And that's a problem, right? Like, if love is the ruling command over our lives, we should work on understanding it better according to its creator, God. Um, So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to keep trekking through Philippians, uh, verses 7 through 11. Um, Just so you guys know, there are blue Bibles out there. You don't have to use them because I know it's dark. It's going to be up here on the projector. Uh, Take those Bibles home with you if you're new and you don't have a Bible or the Bible you have is hard to understand. Those things rule. Um, It's the New Living Translation. Uh, But we're going to see in this that Paul desires us to grow in love. And that all of the love that he wants us to to grow in, it's all inspired by the love that God has displayed in Christ. Um, And that that has like tons of implications for us uh, and and what love should create in our lives. 
And that's because love always creates more love. We say it a lot here at Rev, and I'll keep saying it. And, you know, the better handle that we have on the love of God for us, the more we're going to love him, and we're going to see later on tonight, by default, we're going to love other people. All right, so without any, any more of that, let's go ahead and hit the text. Philippians 1, uh, 7 through 11, and see, see what Paul says about growing in love. Um, I'm sorry. Should have said this earlier. Um, remember this, though, um, what we've been trekking through so far. Remember that Paul has just been talking about how he prays for the Philippians and how he thanks God for what God is working on in them. Um, and we're going to see Paul deviates in verses 7 and 8 um, for a little while to talk about how, how much he loves these people. He deviates from his like prayer report, if you want to call it that, that he has been praying for them and talks to them as this is outburst and outpouring of love. So we're going to backtrack uh, back to verse 3. Uh, 1, 3 through 8, so we can get verses 7 and 8 in context. So let's check this out. Paul says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ. All right, so we talked about this a little bit last week, but the Philippians have been Paul's partners in the gospel in a special way, right? They're evangelizing in their city. They're, they're helping Paul out a lot. He's in prison right now. They're sending him gifts. They sent him a dude named uh, Epaphroditus, and I can't get away from how cool that that name is. Every time that I punch it in on my iPad, it's like, that's wrong. And I'm like, no, the Bible's always right. You're wrong, iPad. Um, right, but they send Epaphroditus uh, with a gift, uh, and it's because they love Paul, and, and they're sharing in his ministry. They're, they're trying to help him out. And here's what's cool. They've never abandoned Paul, right? They were constantly concerned for him, and Paul's in prison right now. And what's kind of cool about that, um, if someone goes to prison with us, um, in our culture, it's kind of like, yeah, you know, homeboy got in trouble, and that's, that's okay. We, we're not going to abandon him. Uh, but back then, um, in, in, in the culture that they lived in in the first century, it was an honor culture. Um, it's better to die than to be dishonored. So for a leader, especially the founder of your local church body, to be imprisoned would be shameful. Um, but here at Revolution, you probably wouldn't like, eh, I can see Dowdy going to prison for, for a minute for some stuff. I know what I look like. It's cool. My identity's in Christ. You guys can think whatever you want about me. Um, that was a joke. That was too dry. It sounded kind of harsh. I don't care. Um, but many people in their culture, they would have left Paul and they would have forsaken him. Uh, but not these people, not the Philippians. Um, and why? Because we talked about last week, they, they realized their solidarity with Paul as brothers and sisters through their shared faith in Jesus, right? Um, they have this family bond with Paul, and he can feel it. That's why he wrote what he wrote in verses 7 and 8. He can feel it, right? And, and consider this too. He says, like, you share God's favor with me both in my imprisonment and in my defense of the gospel. Um, they're actually suffering with Paul, um, like I said, they're sending him a gift. Like, they're there with Paul in spirit. Um, and, and furthermore, where they send Epaphroditus to him, like, there's no doubt. Like, back then, you didn't just drop your gift off to someone after making, like, days and days worth of a journey and then just turn around and head home. Like, Epaphroditus stayed there and visited with Paul while Paul's in prison. Um, you know, ministered to him, which is essentially like hanging out, loving, with, loving somebody, um, praying with them, studying with them. Just, how you doing, man? Like, I care about you. Um, Epaphroditus would have done that with Paul, no doubt. Um, 
And Paul says that the joy that he has from seeing them express love in this way, where they don't abandon him, where they actually act like a family, he said it it makes him feel joy. Um, It makes him happy whenever he thinks about them. He said, and it is right that he thinks this way about them. It's it's like the word like gears this connotation, the Greek word that he uses for right. It is morally right and God honoring and and shows uh, praise to God for the Philip or for the for the love that he has for the Philippians. and this love that he has, he says, I love you with the compassion of Christ. This love comes from his love for Christ, first of all, that he understands how he's been loved, and he shows this to the Philippians, and they reciprocate it back to him. Um, again, they, they all share in the grace of the gospel, um, and therefore they express love to one another. All right. Bear that in mind. They all share in the grace of the gospel. They all believe that Christ has died for their sin and rose from the dead, and their faith is in that. And because they have that shared love, they express it to one another. Now, we're not, like, landing here for, this, for the evening, but I'm going I'm to camp here for a second. Um, I think there's a lesson to be learned here for us because um, there's an example for us to follow, and I'm going to harp on this a lot. So you guys are going to tell me I sound like a broken record, but I was talking to Cooley. Like, I think there's, like, a hundred things that the Bible says, and, like, a preacher just tell, like, a God, God tells a preacher, like, you're going to say a hundred things for, like, the next 50 years until you just croak, right? So just, like, you're a broken record for the rest of your life, and that's okay. Um, we have to love each other the way that they loved each other. Um, right? they, they had affection for each other that sprung up from the love of Christ to them and they understood that and that caused them to act um, it caused them to actually care about one another um, and that's what I want I want that here so badly um, and we saw some of that at the cookout right? like people actually having like a good time together and actually like fellowshipping with one another and it was awesome um, but I'm going to say this it's a shameless plug uh, this is why we have small groups at Revolution, because we want this kind of tight-knit family bond. So there's your shameless plug. I'm going to give them all summer long. Um, like, we didn't just decide that, like, hey, man, we want to be edgy and cool, and instead of having a Wednesday night service, we're going to have small groups at people's houses, or we're going to go eat dinner together. That wasn't the thing. Um, that's actually lame to think that a church is ever going to be edgy. There's no such thing as a cool Christian. Um, like, these things, like these small groups, they build closeness, um, and we want you to get into these groups because these groups are where we can suffer together. Um, where if something's going on in my life, I can tell the people that I meet with regularly, like, hey, man, I got this going on. I need, I need prayer. Likewise, whenever something awesome happens, like moving into your home um, that happened this weekend, we can rejoice together. Um, we can pray together. We can study together, learn, grow. Whenever someone really needs help, we can all pull together and help us essentially live together. That's what we do in these small groups. Um, and, and furthermore, I, I don't know where I'd be um, without, I'm not going to say church family anymore. I don't know where I would be without my family that I've met here. Um, I don't know what I'd do, just to be totally honest. Um, and I say this a lot, the, the Christian life wasn't meant to be walked alone. Um, it's another reason why we do these things. Um, and once a week meeting in a big building and having me give you a 45-minute book report, um, that, is, that is still walking this life alone. That, that's, that's still what this is. Um, so get in a group. I, I want us so badly to be a family. Um, it's, it's all over the New Testament that we should be living this way together. Um, so get in a group, right? Like uh, plain and simple, get in a group. Uh, table in the back, four sheets, couple pencils. I want you to go there whenever we're done here. Um, there's no excuses now. There it is. There's even like little like lame lights that we bought to put on the table. Um, that costs us money, so please don't make us waste money. Um, <laughs> we are cheap here at Revolution because we are poor. Um, but again, if we only meet here once a week, then there is no love. Um, and consider this, too many of us don't know each other. 
Too many of us here right now in this building don't know each other. And I'm guessing like the people in the front left don't know the people in the back right. Just throwing that out there. Usually you don't talk if you don't sit too close together. Um, so here, here's what I've come to the conclusion of too. Um, we may think that we're like loving each other in the whole church, uh, but we only really love like four people because we're not willing to get out of our comfort zone and like make new connections with people that we see every week. And that's not what we see here with the Philippians and Paul. Um, they actually love one another. Um, all right, so we, we've got this command. Um, we have to have deeply rooted love for one another. It's commanded in Scripture. First John talks about it. Jesus talks about it. Like, it's not an option. Um, all right, but anyway, now that I, uh, I, I sit on my soapbox for that, it's time to step down and get on another one. Uh, so, so now, as, as we finish up these next few verses, verses 9 through 11, um, we're going to see Paul open up about love. All right, so we talked about love for the church for a minute. We're going to talk about love in general now for the next couple of verses. And we're going to see uh, what implication that this kind of love Paul wants us to grow in has on our lives and on our decisions and everything that we do. Um, so I'm going to read verses 9 through 11 to you now. Verse 9. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. All right, so let's focus on something here. Everything hinges on it. And that's Paul prays that our love would grow. That's what this whole next bit that we're going to talk about, that the whole thing focuses on that. Paul wants our love to grow. But what does Paul mean by love? What does he mean by love? You know, what is love? Roxbury, come on. I wrote it in my notes that way because I knew it would make you all sing it in your head for like two seconds. Thank you. One person did it for me. You guys are, that's not funny for you? That movie was good. Whenever he shatters the window, that was funny. Uh, whatever. But I did it too in my head. Um, but what is, what is this love? What is love that Paul's talking about? Uh, is it just a, like affection for somebody? Is it just an emotion? Um, is it a feeling? You know, what is it? Um, luckily for us, again, the Greeks use three words for love, and he uses the word agape or agape, depending on how pretentious you want to be as a theologian. Um, agape is what we're going to call it here because I'm too dumb to actually know Greek correctly. Um, but agape is the Greek word for love, and it's this divine love. Uh, it is unfailing. Uh, it's how God loves us. It is completely faithful. And it never ceases. Um, this is the love of choice. Again, this is how God loves us. Consider the love of choice. He chose to save us. Down to the core, he chose us to be saved. All right, so this is a word of action. Right? Uh, you've heard like the, the cliche, love is a verb. It's actually true, like especially in this. This is not a feeling, right? So this definition of love that we're checking out um, is completely contrary to what our culture says that love is. Think about this for a minute. Uh, the world's love, uh, the love of people who do not know Jesus, um, is a love of impulse or a love of emotion. Where they say, I can't help it. Love is blind. You love who you love and you really can't help it, right? Because that we, our culture tends to view um, love in that way as an emotional kind of a thing. Um, you see a ton of divorce, man. I know you see it within the church too because the church is dumb enough to let the world influence our thoughts on love. Um, where you hear things like, I fell out of love. Or I don't love you anymore. 
right? This emotional BS that is not what Paul's talking about or what Scripture talks about the vast majority of the time, right? Like, this world knows nothing of the love of will. I don't mean Will Smith. I just immediately thought of Stephen Walashek does that to me all the time whenever I talk about will. I just completely lost my train of thought because of you. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's on the podcast now. Um, right? Uh, the world knows nothing of the love of will, um, of unceasing faithfulness and choice. Um, and here's why, and this is like an epiphany I had. Uh, because the world does not know God. Right? Apart from Christ, we do not know God the Father. So the world that, that who, who does not have faith in Jesus um, has not experienced this kind of love. They've not experienced this kind of, I willfully choose you, and I chose you before you were born, this kind of love, and therefore they cannot express it. Or I choose you even in the midst of your faults, and I choose to do good and love you. They do not express it. Or if you want to argue with me and say that a non-Christian can't express it, at the bare minimum, they can't express it consistently. Maybe occasionally, but not, that's not the pulse of their life. It's the love with this agape kind of love. Um, this is why the kind of love that the Bible commands that we show is completely supernatural. Um, it's given to us uh, as a result of the Holy Spirit opening our eyes to the gospel. That, that God loves us even in the midst of our mistakes and that we are absolutely disgusting and that we deserve nothing but hell and nothing but wrath because we have rebelled against God and his commands, but that he would love us and send Christ to pay the penalty for what we've done. That an innocent Christ would suffer as if he were guilty for the things that we've done in our place. And that we experience that kind of love because the Holy Spirit's opened our eyes and then it begins to transform our hearts to show that kind of love to you. Um, but let me take a minute here. Um, it's going to take me a couple minutes, but this will be fun. Uh, let, let me try to show you guys um, how God displays this agape love to us so that we can understand what Paul desires us to grow in. Right? I want us to get a good understanding of how God loves us because if we don't get that, we're never going to be able to love each other appropriately. All right, so let's check this out. God's love is active. Like I've said this a couple of times already, it never ceases for our good, and it's constantly on, right? Our God does not rest. Our God does not sleep. He does not take breaks, and I appreciate that out of him, um, right? He is always self-sacrificial, and he's always giving, right? So first thing he ever did, he chose us. He chose us for salvation because he loved us. Before anything else, the Bible says before he even made earth, he chose to save us. Before he did anything else, he gave us salvation. So he was giving before he even created. He has always been giving, right? And then we see, like, in the fullness of time, right, we see Christ actually comes in the, in the, in the plan of salvation. He actually comes to earth, and God gives us Christ's sacrifice in our place that we do not deserve. And then further, he gives us Christ's righteousness to be judged by because of our faith in Jesus, right? So we have the gospel that God gave us what we could not gain for ourselves, to step away from the theological a little bit, God gives us life. Like, we don't tend to think about it. Like, I know, like, we know that, but, like, we don't think about it. And I read this uh, online. This sounds really lame. But, like, every breath that we take, like, we don't take them. God gives them to us. And that sounds really like it should be written with, like, script that says, like, just girly things at the bottom. But, like, that's, like, a legitimate, like, statement from the Bible. <laughs> like, we don't take breaths. God gives us them. He keeps us alive. He's the sustainer of everything. If he doesn't want this thing to exist anymore... Boom, I fall to the ground. He gives us everything. He gives us the material goods that we have, the food that we eat. If God says the sun does not shine or the rain does not come, we don't eat. 
Um, the car that you drove or rode in to get here was given to you by God because if he said you weren't going to get it, you weren't going to get it. The home that you stay in or own or whatever, God said you get that. If he said that you didn't, you didn't get it. The clothes on your back, same goes for them. Right? The skills that you have, the mental capacity that you have to work or to be able to do anything or even speak has been given to you by God. Therefore, the job that you have that you use those skills to work in has been given to you by God. So the money that you have has been given to you by God because it all goes back to what he gave you first off. Even the relationships that we have, right? The family, the friends, uh, the spouse, the, the kids that we have, whatever, um, the people that we hold dear to us and, and love, God put them in our lives. We did not choose them to come into our lives. God put them there. So like literally everything that we have, every single thing that we have is the result of a sovereign God who chooses to shower us with love because the Bible says he is a good gift giver. Like even the things that we don't have is God keeping us from what we don't need. Like even the things we don't have is a gift. And that's really hard to swallow, but it's true. So God is, and God is constantly actively loving us. Again, he's sovereign over every action. There's nothing that takes place in creation that God has not given at least a stamp of approval on. And the Bible says that he is in all things working his, good, or his plan for our good and his glory out. Um, he's constantly, furthermore, like we talked about last week, he is constantly choosing to work in us to make us more like Christ. Where he never gives up and he never stops, even in our rebellion against him daily, he still chooses to love us. That. All of those things, I know I just riffed on that for like a long time, and I'm sorry, but all of those things, that is agape love. The divine love of choice where I choose to give and I choose to be selfless for the good of other people. That's Paul's prayer for us, that we would grow like that, that we would reflect that because we have a good understanding of what God has done and given to us. Right? And, I, and I say it every week, when we experience this kind of intimate love, and it is intimate, God knit you together in your mother's womb, the only response left is for us to love the lover. The only true response is for us to love God for what he's done and what he's given. Um, so Paul's initial prayer is, is that we would grow in love for God, where we would choose, again, that we would love God first. Um, that we would choose to love God more and more in our lives. And we're going to see that in a minute. As a result, we will love others as well. Um, remember, the whole law summed up in two commands, love God, love your neighbor. Um, so again, this love is expressive. Um, if we love God, then we're going to express it in some way, right? Because God's love for us expresses itself in, what he, uh, in, in him just being him and working everything out for our benefit, um, if we love God, we're going to desire to know him. I think Paul knows that, and that's why he prays that our knowledge would grow. Right? He says, I pray that your love would, would grow richer and richer and just overflow, and that your knowledge would grow as well. Um, and we know that we grow in knowing God um, and knowing about God by learning who he is in Scripture, right? by the Bible. Um, so let's consider the Bible for a second. All right? Here, here's that. Uh, this is like the, I, want, I want us to get, because I was talking to my mom about this, because uh, I'm a mama's boy and it's awesome. But like we, we don't think about the Bible, I think, accurately. Like it is the active living word of God. Like we assent to that. But, like we don't really think that like this ancient text is just as relevant to us now as it was then because God is still God and we are still human beings. 
Like, this thing is super relevant to us. It has everything that we need to know, that God has decreed that we need to know about him and about salvation and about what pleases him and about what he wants us to know about him. Like, that book in those chairs is life itself. Um, In its pages is is God's plan of salvation for his people. It is all important to us. I'm not saying we worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. But this is how we know the God of the Bible. So I'm doing the preacher thing, and I'm telling you to read your Bibles. Right? Like, none of us do that nearly enough. Right? So take one home with you, like I said earlier. If you don't have one, you will spiritually starve to death without it. Um, but in Scripture, right, we, we see the story of God's plan for salvation. We see it unfold, um, his agape love for us, and that it finally expresses itself in Christ on the cross and in his resurrection in our place. Um, you know, in the Bible, we see God's righteousness. We see his sovereign power, his goodness, his holiness. We see all of his attributes displayed. Um, and this is kind of cool. We also see his wisdom. Uh, we see how God has ordered things and, and how he expects his people to live, which is in service, which is love for other people. Um, in service to others and in keeping his standards in our personal lives, which is love for God. Um, so throughout scripture, too, we see again and again how God's commands um, and his love and his wisdom and in everything are shown over and over and over to be good and to be right, right? And to be a superior way to live over everything that the world might tell us, right? Like, and I was kind of laughing to myself. Um, I was thinking about Mormons. And uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, like, uh, like someone a long time ago in like the Old Testament said, like, having two wives would be awesome, Right? And God was like, I said one wife is enough, and time has proven that God's way was good because no one man can make one woman happy. Amen? Amen. Ask my brother in law. That's a joke. I always like to make fun of him. He's not even here to defend himself. Like, he's, ah, whatever. Um, I moved too much of his things yesterday. Um, but seriously, that never worked out. Right? That never worked out because God said one man, one woman. That's how we're going to do marriage. Um, and the same, like, so the same thing goes for hate. Uh, goes for greed, goes for envy, goes for grudges, laziness, gossip, right? The ways of the God of Scripture um, are always shown to be superior to everything, um, right? But, but growing in this knowledge isn't just reading the Bible. It's not just reading books. Um, we grow in knowing God experientially um, as well. Um, you know, as, as we walk in this life following Jesus, we um, intimately experience the love of God, and we see his word to be true. We do. The longer you're a Christian, the more you'll realize, man, you know, the Bible was right, and I'm really dumb. Um, Like, even in our rebellion, um, once we come to repentance, we can testify to the truth of Scripture. Um, And what I mean by that is is we realize, man, God was right all along, and I should have been obedient to what he said. Um, And even, even then... Right? Even after our rebellion, we grow in relationship because we experience his unfailing agape love for us again. And we begin to appreciate the grace of the cross again. And we begin to see that he's loving and unfailing and, and, and always compassionate and full of mercy again and again and again. And we, become to, we come to experience God um, and, and get a more full knowledge of him. Um, and as we grow in this knowledge, um, we see Paul pray something else. Paul says, I want, you to, I want you to grow in love, and I want you to grow in knowledge. And he prays that we would grow in understanding. 
Um, now, understanding is almost like synonymous with wisdom here, the word that he uses. So, like, that is that we would have this knowledge about God and about what he said and about what he expects from us and that we would actually put it into practice, all right? And here's, and this keys me up really hard, and all you nerds pay attention to me. Um, knowledge by itself, knowledge of the Bible is useless. By itself, it is absolutely useless, You know, there have been many theology nerds that I personally know um, that do not practice what they know at all. And that's not what Paul is after here. The Bible encourages action. It It doesn't generally encourage just knowledge. It encourages wisdom. That's why Paul doesn't say, I want you to grow in love and I want you to grow in knowledge. Have a good day. Right? He says, I want you to grow in understanding. Right? The Bible's a practical book. Like, when used correctly, the Bible is incredibly practical. We want to take the things that we know and actually put them into play. Um, Like, think about it this way. Paul's knowledge of God and knowledge of salvation through Christ made him live the way that he did. Um, Made him be loving, right? He loved the Philippians. Made him be very sacrificial in his giving, um, where he called himself a fool for the gospel, where he didn't care what the world thought because he knew that he received approval from God. He was willing to go to prison for the gospel, and ultimately, he was beheaded for the gospel, what he knew affected how he lived. Right? If our theology, if our study, if our reading the scripture does not change anything about us, it's a waste of time. If we only learn about God but don't act on it, it's a waste of time. And there are way cooler hobbies than reading the Bible. Let's be honest here for a minute. And I know I struggle with this stuff. Um, I think everyone does to some degree, but especially like the people that really, really like to read theology books and systematic theologies that are that thick and all that stuff. Um, You know, we want to know, but we don't want to do. (laughs) Like, that's what that boils down to. Um, And here's the thing. This is like, I don't have very many original thoughts, but like, this is one. Um, Like, (laughs) this isn't even original. I just didn't read it anywhere. Um, Those of us with the most knowledge, who study the most, should be the wisest and should be the most active in ministry. That hurts, doesn't it? That sucks. <laughs> like, twist the knife. Um, but anyway, enough of that. Um, but what we're seeing, right, and I just wanted to hit that for a minute because I fall into that trap a lot, and I don't want you guys to fall into the same things that I fall into. So if you study, be about putting it into action. But what we're seeing in this prayer is a building of ideas, right? We're seeing that love for God turns into a desire to know God, which turns into knowing God through the scriptures, which turns into understanding or wisdom. And then in verses 10 and 11, we see Paul gives the why of his praying that we'd grow this way. So he wants us to love God, grow in knowledge, and understand. And then he says, this is why. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. So here's what Paul says. I want you to grow in these things so that we would know what to do and then actually do it. That's what he wants from us. Like the the ESV, the English Standard Version, it's a very good translation. He says, so that we would approve what is excellent. That's why he wants us to grow this way, so that we could approve what is excellent, that, that we would choose the best thing for us to do in all circumstances in order to convey the agape love of God to people. That's what this whole thing climaxes to. 
That's why Paul wants us to grow in this way. Paul wants us to love God more so that we would know him more, become wise, so that we can love others more appropriately. Um, And that's because loving God always results in loving other people. Because God loves people and we love God, so now we love people. We want to imitate that. Um, And further, all, all of God's commands are rooted in and affect our attitudes and actions towards other people. Right? Like the first four commandments of the, of the Ten Commandments are about God and our relationship to Him. And the last six are about how we treat one another. That's kind of interesting to me, right? So what I think the Bible tells us is we have this vertical love, love for God that then shoots out horizontally at everyone that we come in contact with. And I've said that the last couple of weeks, and I was kind of like digging at that thing in the ceiling. That's interesting up there. Take a look. Um, <laughs> right? Um, but this kind of active love... Um, and here's what I fall into. Now that everyone's half staring up there, I got to watch you guys. You kind of do what I tell you to do sometimes when I'm here. Um, <laughs> like this kind of active love. Um, and this is what I fall into the pit of. It's not just in the area of like ministry, right? Um, this is not the kind of love that just expresses itself whenever we're consciously feeding hungry people like we did this weekend or consciously trying to help our community or stopping for a homeless person to give them some food or, or verbally telling someone the gospel. Those are all great things. Continue to do those, please. That's one of the expressions that we have. Um, but this kind of love that Paul wants us to grow in, this is active love that flows into everything that we do. Um, so that at all times, in all situations, our hearts are bleeding with this kind of love for everyone around us. Um, I'll get real with you here for a minute. Like, this is right down to how we talk to our family and our friends. Yeah, it's about to get live up in here. This sucks. <laughs> right? And, like, what we're willing to do for our family and our friends. Um, like me, because uh, we're supposed to confess our sin to one another. Um, like, this past weekend, uh, I was helping my... Uh, brother-in-law and my sister move out of their house, and I was moving my stuff into their old house. Um, and you know, I, I had a lot of things to do. I had a lot of things on my mind. I thought that I was going to be there for like three hours or so, and I was there for like eight and a half. <laughs> it's good. Um, it was hot because um, if it's over seventy degrees, I think it's hot, and I want to go inside. Um, I was busy. I was irritated. Um, I was super tired. These are not excuses. I'm just telling you what happened. Um, I started running my mouth. I never stopped, like, moving things or helping anything, but I started running my mouth. Um, I started acting like a fool, um, biblically acting foolish. Um, I was not being wise. I, I know how we're supposed to talk to people. The Bible says that we're supposed to build people up with our words, that we're supposed to speak lovingly to one another, that we're supposed to have affection towards each other. Um, and I wasn't doing that. Um, and I have since then... Uh, talk to like every member of my family and my fiance and repented. And I'm telling you guys, if you're in the same position where you need to repent to some people, go do that. If you're a Christian, um, it's not cool to talk to people in an ungodly way. Um, and here's why, because whenever I, or whenever any of us here act that way, it does not reflect agape love. And here's what I mean. And maybe I'm just getting a little bit like, this is just for me to tell you. Um, I had an epiphany when I was talking to my brother-in-law today. Um, Here's why this doesn't reflect the love of God whenever our attitudes don't match up. Even though we may still say, I'll still help you, but I don't want to help you, or I'm going to do something begrudgingly, or whatever, whatever whatever our mentality is for service, or whatever kind of attitude we're copping with people, that doesn't reflect the love of God because God's love says, I want to do this because I love you. I don't do this begrudgingly. I do this because I love you. God did not owe us salvation. 
He was not duty-bound or morally bound to do anything for us. He did it purely because he wanted to. Because he is love. And that's what love does, is it's selfless. It doesn't think about itself. It puts others ahead of itself. That's why whenever we, we cop an attitude, we're not reflecting the love of God. So this was a huge check for me. And I don't know if that helps anyone here, but I just wanted to let you all know that. Um, but it's love, right? Genuine love. That's how we're supposed to serve our family. That's how we're supposed to serve one another here in the church. Strangers, neighbors, it's all about love, right? Love for God, love for other people. Love for God is how we handle frustration, Right, knowing that God is sovereign over everything and then actually applying that to our attitudes and how we're going to handle being frustrated. Right, that's how we handle temptation to sin is we know that the Bible says God offers us better and we apply that into what we're actually going to do in this situation. Right? You know, that, that, that we would always live um, in love for God and love for others that expresses itself in service and obedience. That's what we're aiming at here. Um, And what would happen if we would actually live out our faith this way is Paul says that we would be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, um, which is when when either we see him in death or when we see him whenever he returns to fix this whole mess. Um, But he's not saying pure and blameless as in like, if you do these things, you're going to be perfect, and I expect you to be perfect. And we're going to see later on in this book that Paul says, I have not attained perfection at all. And if Paul hasn't attained it, I'm not going to attain it. But that's not his thing. What he's saying here, just real quick, um, pure. He said that you would be pure and blameless. Pure means sincere. I'll spare you all the Greek nonsense that I can't pronounce. Um, Sincere, that you would be genuine. Um, That our faith would be proven to be legit. That's what that means. He said that you would be a sincere, honest, genuine believer. And that it would express itself in the good works that you have, in the way that you love people, in the way that you treat people, right? We see in in the book of James uh, that James says, faith without works is not faith. Faith that does not change how we love one another and love people and love God is not real faith at all, right? We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone, to quote Martin Luther. Um, And then he says we would be blameless, Right, and this is what sucks. This one hurt when I was studying it. Blameless means that we would not cause others to stumble. Yeah. That we would be shown to be genuine believers and not be viewed as hypocrites. That's what pure and blameless means. That we would not be hypocritical and therefore not cause others to stumble by our hypocrisy. Right, God calls us to a real living faith. And people can see pretty easily if you're a fake or not, especially if they're in close contact with you, right? But sincere faith that displays itself in love for people makes people notice something different. Um, You know, I think we should desire um, to genuinely know God and have a genuine love for God, right? Because nothing, and this hurt me. Again, I just felt the pain studying for this thing. Nothing... um, drags the name of Christ through the mud more than a hateful, unforgiving, selfish, complaining Christian. Nothing. Like, if there's anything, there are a few things that are worse than that because nothing pushes the world away that the church does more than hypocrisy where we don't love people. That's one of the number, like, top five complaints about Christians is they don't love anybody. That's what pushes people away. But then Paul does this. So Paul said that we would be 
that if we would love, we would know God, and we would uh, become wise, and we would love people appropriately, and we would have good works because we're not thinking about ourselves, and our attitudes would change, and he wants us to grow this way so that we would be sincere, and we wouldn't cause other people to stumble, and then he gives us our motivation. He sums up our pushing to love more and more with one solitary reason, and this is cool. He says, it will bring much glory and much praise to God whenever we live this way. Everything that we do should have this one mentality behind it. What will bring glory to God? That's what our mentality should be. That's what should drive every action. Should I be lazy or should I help somebody? What's going to bring God glory here? Should I be angry and yell or should I be a peacemaker? Should I worry and be frustrated or should I trust God? Should I hold a grudge? Or should I forgive? What will bring my God glory? That's what drives us. Um, but I want you guys to know this. Paul, Paul, I want to be really clear. Paul is not um, telling us to be better in these ways because it's going to save us. Right? Only faith in Christ's life, death, and resurrection, putting your hope there and following him, only that's going to save you. Genuine faith, genuine loyalty to Christ. That's the only thing that's going to save us. Um, what he is telling us, though, is to always be about the glory of God. To always be about the glory of God. And whenever you think about it, that's really the only fitting response for the heart that understands the gift-giving, sacrificial love of God displayed in Christ. To always thank him and always be in service to him, to love in a way that honors him. To a heart that truly understands the gospel, that's the only appropriate response. And here's the question I ask why whenever I read the Bible a lot. Why does that God bring, or why does that bring God praise and glory? Why, why, does, why does living this way do that? This is cool. Because this is a testimony to the heart-changing, gratitude-inducing, transforming power of God at work in us. That He and He alone can take a selfish self-loving sinner and turn them into an imitation of Christ. That brings God praise. That brings God glory. He is magnified for his work in us whenever we live this way. We become the proof of his power. That's God honoring. That's why we should be about his glory. The way we live shows how strong he is because it's his Holy Spirit at work in us. The righteous character produced by who? By Jesus Christ. That's what we're after. That's why it brings God glory. And just frankly, side note, if we don't care about his glory, then we don't love him. We don't. And in the moments where we'd rather do our own thing than show him to be great and love him and exalt him, in those moments, we need to re-examine ourselves and think about all that he has given us. We need to think about the salvation that he chose to give us. Everything, your car, everything, your money, whatever. We need to think about those things, and, and, and especially our salvation, though. And let that push us deeper into his unfailing love and spur us on to grow in him because we understand his love better, that he still loves us even though in that moment we had chosen ourselves over him, that he will still take us back. That's what we do. So the challenge of this whole text is for us to grow. That's what Paul prays for. Right, so reflect on the love of God for you. Everything that he's given you. Like, count your blessings, like your grandma used to say. Um, you know, study God in the Bible. And then apply that to your lives. Um, 
And above everything, show love in all circumstances. Um, but to love in all situations, that's like a tall order, man. Um, and you're going to screw it up. <laughs> like, like, warning. Like, you're going to mess this up. Um, we won't always be about his glory because we will fail. Um, but here's the thing. He has agape love for us. Um, his love is eternal and unfailing for us. And so that's why we always go back to the cross of that love. And there at the foot of the cross, our zeal and our passion for God is rekindled. So we must go there every day because we need that kind of spurring on. We need that kind of love and we need that kind of grace every day. All right, so it's, it's super open-ended, but Paul is saying to go and love. Um, that was his prayer for the Philippians. And that's my prayer for revolution. That's, I, I pray that regularly, that we would grow and we would be a family and that we would love our community better and love God more. That's my prayer for you guys. That's my prayer for me. Um, you know, that we would be great lovers of God and great lovers of people in all things. And that we would grow until our love is unmeasurable and incomparable to the day before. And that we would grow more and more and more that way every day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a lover of sinners. Um, thank you for giving us the gospel. Everything that you've given us is place to meet. You just give and you give and you give and you give. And God, I pray that we would become imitators of that in our, in our home lives, in our work lives, uh, where we go to school, where we go to college, whatever it may be. Um, that we would love you like that. Like the way that, that, that you've loved us, that we would then love one another. God, help us to keep that at the forefront of our minds whenever we want to do our own thing and we want to be selfish. Is that you've loved us and we don't deserve it. Father, you're, you're better to us than we deserve. We deserve hell and you give us Christ. Um, we deserve death and you give us life. Father, I pray that that would spur us on into a deeper gratitude for you so that we would serve you with more fervor and zeal. Father, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.